Welcome to the REI Mastermind Network, where host Jack Haas gathers amazing stories from leaders in real estate investing. In each episode, our guests will tell you what they're doing that works, what they've tried that failed, and best of all, you'll learn actionable steps to take your real estate investing to the next level. Now, here's Jack with another value-packed episode. Bob Knackle joins me here today. Bob, I really appreciate your time. And we're going to be talking everything from entrepreneurship, how to scale your business, but some pretty stellar numbers on Bob's end. He's in New York and he has sold 2,321 properties, totaling value of $22 billion. Yes, that is with a B. So Bob, I really appreciate you giving us some insight here today. Well, Jack, it's a pleasure to be with you. And you know, if you're if you've been in business 40 years, those numbers kind of add up after a while. Well, I don't know if there's a lot of people that can have it with the B. The The billion is kind of startling, especially I know you're in New York and the property values are a bit different from where I am, but that's, that's still a pretty startling number. Well, thanks. Yeah, it's all just one at a time. That's the, the only way to get there is one at a time. So you, we were talking a little bit about just before we hit record about social media and and the growth there. So if you want to see what Bob is up to, I definitely check out Twitter, LinkedIn, and Bob has been given has even graciously given us his email address. But we're going to save that closer to the end, Bob, so you don't get inundated with a bunch of emails. Fantastic! No, happy to happy to hear from folks. No no problem. So. So I'm curious, Bob, I know you said this is a career of 40 years, but $22 billion in in sales, that many real estate transactions, you've had to scale your business to handle that type of workload. Can you talk a little bit to, to entrepreneurship and the mindset that's needed for that? Sure. Well, I guess if we go to 40,000 feet, I would say over the years, I've been very lucky, could not have achieved those kind of numbers without, you know, great folks around me, partners and associates and colleagues. And, you know, you have to build a team. I'm a big believer in the fact that you figure out what you do best and try to do as much of that as you possibly can, and then find other people to help do the other things that are essential to get done, but that you don't necessarily have to be the one to do. You know, I love to to read a lot about successful people and entrepreneurs and how folks do things. And I really love the books written by uh, Dr. Benjamin Hardy and Dan Sullivan. One of them is uh, Who Not How. And the general thesis of the book is that of all the things you do every day, probably 20% of those things make you most of your money. And that's what you should be spending as much time as possible doing. And then the other 80%, you should either delegate to other people or don't do it all. So I think it, when, you, when you're thinking about scaling and growing your business, you need the help of other people. I know that one of uh, uh, Ben Hardy's books is Who Not How, saying that when you ask yourself, how am I going to get this done? You're asking the wrong question. It should be, who am I going to get to do this for me is the right question. And so right. a lot of it is is figuring out what you do best, trying to do as much of that as possible, and then delegating other tasks to other people that can do them more effectively and efficiently than you can. Mm -hmm. You know, one of those things that 
you know, we're dealing with a number of real estate investors that that listen to this podcast, and a lot of them are they're kind of doing real estate investing as a side hustle, or unfortunately, I even classify sometimes as a hobby than anything else. But what I really liked what I saw coming from your team is the concept of how to start your small business with the intentions of expansion and those steps that are needed there. How do you how does a person position themselves in order to even even if it's a one man band, how do they make sure that they take those initial right steps to accomplish that? You know, I, I think it's having a vision and a goal for what you want to be. You know, another another great book is Jim Collins' uh, Good to Great. And what Collins theorizes is that the main difference between good companies and great companies is that the great company identifies something that they can or want to do better than anybody else in the world. And every decision they make, every strategic initiative, everything revolves around that one thing. And I think in the same way, an entrepreneur can think about what they want to specialize in. And specialization is really, really important in the real estate business, I think. You know, if you the the best way to add value to a client is by being a true expert at something. So operate within a an arena that's small enough that you really can know everything about it and be a real expert, but have that be large enough that you can make a good living doing it. But that specialization leads to an easy way to differentiate yourself from everybody else that's trying to do what you do. And that differentiation leads to a competitive advantage. And so I think as a as an entrepreneur starting a business, wanting to grow it, think about where you want to be in five or 10 years, have an operating platform with systems in place that will allow you to scale, have that those, that operating platform and the guidelines by which, by which you operate be implemented fairly for everybody so everyone's on a level playing field and then just keep going forward one step at a time building towards your goal trying to be the best at one particular thing and you know we we all need help we all need people by our side partners and colleagues to help us get where we want to get to but create an environment that encourages people that uh, allows people to a- express their their desires and their abilities and encourage them to to do their very best. Do you find that it's best to actually when you when you're doing this and making these type of plans or or envisioning what that people should be like actually going through the exercise of writing this down and I almost picture it like a target, right? Like it it seems like a lot of people jump into real estate for example with hopes and dreams but they haven't taken the moment to i don't want to say go through the process of a business plan but at least writing things down it's it's it it doesn't become a target until you you put it on paper you know i i think you should have a business plan i think every every entrepreneur every business person should think about doing a SWOT analysis you know strengths weaknesses opportunities threats that will help you think about where you are, where you want to get to, write down what your your one-year plan is, your three-year plan, your five-year plan. And, and it's working on your business. I often, if you read the stuff that I, I put online, I, I often differentiate business. 
and working on your business. And I think it's important to do both of those things. Obviously, you have to work in your business to to make money, but you also want to be working on your business regularly so that you can think about where you are, think about where you're going, where you want to get to, and determine the strategic objectives that you have and then what tactics you're going to implement in order to achieve those strategic objectives. So, and I think if you're not writing these things down, it's easy to lose track of them. And you certainly want to have measurable goals so that you can see how you're doing relative to your goals, you know, each step of the way. Yeah. You know, one one of those things that you mentioned earlier is, is focusing on the things that you're good at, focusing on us and even becoming finding a specialization is Jack. Yeah, there you are. Sorry. Uh, lost you there for a minute. No problem. That's what editing software is for. So going back to what you were talking about earlier, finding that focus and possibly a specialization with the amount of experience that you've had in the real estate world for the past 40 years, are you seeing anything trend-wise, some special specialization that people, the areas that might be underserved today that people could take advantage of? Well, I think there's there's a, there are a number of things that that are constantly changing in the real estate business, and you know I'll tell you back when I started in 1984, our specialization was based on geographic orientation. We took a little territory, we called it wanted to know every owner on er, of every building on every block really hunkered down got to know those those neighborhoods really well and thought that that market knowledge was a big differentiator that that was back in the day when publicly available information was very limited and what was available was not very good so it was a big advantage to have accurate information by granularly digging into a particular niche today I think the amount and quality of publicly available data is very significant. So I think product specialization is more important than than geographic specialization is today. But you know, I think the biggest opportunity in the market is to adapt to and adopt the utilization of new technology. You know, I'll take you back to again 1984 sitting at my desk. I had no computer on my desk, no fax machine, no cell phone. And you think about how the world has changed so dramatically in the past 40 years. But I think that the extent to which the market is going to change over the next five years is even going to be more dramatic than the change we've seen over the last 40 based on new technologies, AI, et cetera. I really think the world is going to change. And I think the early adopters of that technology are going to be in much better shape than those that don't. Do you think, you know, you, you talk about AI and the like, have you started to see like some of those early adopters maybe ta- using it, frankly, too much in the fact that sometimes I've I've run into a few bots, if you will, that are leveraging the AIs and you can instantly tell that the, there isn't a human behind that. And there's, we're starting to lose some of that human touch. Yeah. Well, I think if if you think about what the, the real estate brokerage business is, and I'm a real estate broker, so I look at everything through that lens, you basically are constantly going through a funneling process. 
you you get hired to sell a property and you go out to 7,000 buyers. And then you have 300 that sign a confidentiality agreement. Then you have 100 that want to actually see the property. And then you have 30 that will bid on the property. You're constantly funneling things down. And technology and AI helps you get through that process a little more efficiently. And, you know, I think from the from the the buyer's perspective, the, the buyer just wants to be made aware of that opportunity. I don't think they really are that concerned whether a human is calling them, a machine is calling them, as long as they're aware of that opportunity. And then once they progress to a certain point, then clearly they'll be interacting with, with someone live. But there is so much funneling that has to, that the whole process has to go through that AI can be tremendously beneficial in that process and save a lot of time. So I've been adopting and trying a lot of different mechanisms to, uh, to implement AI into my practice and, you know, the trial and error, trying new systems out, seeing what works, what doesn't. But I think that the rate of change within that industry is so significant. I think it's really going to be unbelievable over the next five years. Have you found any standout tools that you've run into so far? A couple that I think are very, very promising. And so, you know, we'll see how they go. Still haven't settled on one particular software yet, but but definitely testing them out, experimenting, and, you know, we'll see where we go with it. You bet. Well, I, I know with your experience with commercial property, I would be curious as to what you see there on the horizon or what with we, we frankly, in my part of the world, we saw a pretty significant di- disruption with COVID and, and, and a few other things. But before we get into that, I just want to remind everybody, you can find Bob on the socials. Look for Bob Knackle. I'm going to make sure to have some of those links in the show notes to Twitter, LinkedIn. And again, we're going to be sharing Bob's email address towards the end of the show. But uh, if you found some value in what we're talking about so far, share this episode with one of your real estate investor friends. So Bob, going back to what I was talking about, being in commercial real estate, what have you seen? Have you, have you, in New York anyway, have you started to see people returning back to those commercial properties for employment? Or is there a lot of places vacant because people are working more working from home? What, how do you foresee what's, what's happening in the commercial real estate space? Yeah, well, it's really interesting. I mean, the real estate market has been in a recovery mode here in New York for quite a while. And this recovery is playing out very differently than the, the last four big re- uh, corrections that we've seen. I think it's very, very product sector specific. And you mentioned office buildings, people returning to work. Folks are, are coming back to work, but a lot more slowly than was ever anticipated. You know, first people were hoping it would be after Labor Day of 2020, then after Labor Day of 2021, then after Labor Day of 2022, it keeps getting pushed off. But folks are coming back to the office slowly but surely. I think there are a number of reasons for that. The, the learning curve for young people is completely flat when you're at home and you're just on Zooms you really want to learn, you have to be in that office ecosystem. Secondly, corporate culture, it's very, very difficult to create and foster a a culture if people are not together, not working side by side. 
So I think there are a number of compelling reasons why people should be back in the office. That being said, a number of people are not. And so it's it's impacting our office sector very significantly. There is a big difference between Class A new construction, which is still doing relatively well, and B and C office, which is uh, in some cases very challenging. So we have a number of folks that are looking at office buildings and potentially converting them to residential uses. It's getting to the point where the value of some of these buildings is dropping below land value, even if you take demolition costs into consideration. So I think we'll see some office buildings demolished to make way for new construction. But without a doubt, we are, are have been in a very uh, tumultuous marketplace. Refinancing risk is an issue. Values have been significantly impacted. And I, you know, I think it's uh, going to be very interesting to see how it plays out over the next year. So we're hopeful that that interest rate policy will change, and it, it, all indications are that it will as we go into 2024. But you know, we had a significant shift in the market. Our 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 correction in investment sales really started in October of 2015. We thought we were coming out of it in 2021. In fact, the second half of 2021 and the first half of 2022 were very very positive. But uh, the Fed started raising interest rates in March started to really tangibly impact the real estate market in August and September of 22. And that started to exert downward pressure on pricing. And we're, we're at the point where we hope we're at the bottom of this, this price decline and things will start to get better as rates decrease. But you know, it'll take a significant amount of rate decrease to, uh, to shift the direction of the market. Well, we're we're seeing like in my market, we're starting to see some shift down. The you know the the Treasury or the Fed hasn't shifted rates themselves yet, but we actually have started to see some slight movement in the individual mortgage rates. How long does it take for you to start seeing some changes in the commercial mortgage rates? Well, it depends. That that's going to depend on what happens with each each cycle. As I said, Fed started raising rates in March. We really didn't feel it in the commercial real estate business until August, September of 22. And so we'll uh, we'll see what what happens. You know, fortunately, the Fed has been pretty good about telegraphing moves, so they seem to be built into the market before they actually happen. But we'll see. Hopefully, uh, hopefully, the lenders react quickly. And those spreads compress a little bit, which in addition to the rates dropping themselves will be helpful and will make borrowing less expensive for, for real estate owners. So in the commercial area then, you know, it sounds like some of that office space might be a little depressed right now, but is there any part of the commercial sector that's flourishing that people should be aware of? Well, I don't know if I would use the word flourishing, but I can tell you that I think retail properties in New York are on the upswing right now, mainly because they've been taking their lumps for uh, for many, many years. And the general perception is that retail rents have stopped going down. Leasing activity is picking up and investor interest is back. We're getting calls from investors looking to buy retail properties and haven't had those calls in quite a while. Also, the multifamily market has surprisingly robust demand, notwithstanding the fact that our political headwinds are very, very significant in our housing market. It seems like 
you know, every politician talks about wanting New York City to be more affordable for everybody, but yet every single piece of legislation that's been implemented or ignored since 2018 has done nothing but constricted supply and made New York City less affordable for people. So we have a little bit of a hypocritical politician class that uh, says one thing but does another, but I'm sure we're not the only place that has that type of dynamic going on. Yeah, that's unheard of in the po- in politics, isn't it? Being hypocritical. <laughs> you're talking to the wrong guy if you're going to go down that road. I'm uh, I have some very strong opinions regarding some of this. Okay, well, I just i i don't look at <laughs> I don't look at things as a Democrat or a Republican. I I look at things as a real estatearian, and big part of what I do every day is try to figure out how public policy is going to impact my ability to sit at my desk and sell a building. And I think, you know, what we're seeing now is that the correlation between public policy and the way the markets are functioning is, is there's a more high correlation today than ever before. And I would argue that as much distress as we've seen in our housing market, almost completely caused by housing policy as opposed to fundamentals within the real estate market itself. I'm going to go back to something else here, Bob, because, you know, with 40 years of experience being in real estate, I have learned that a lot of people's success when you get to the to the seasoned professionals such as yourself, a lot of this has to do with endurance and perseverance. Like you've you've really stuck it out through the good times, the bad times. Could you talk a little bit about the mindset associated with just sticking it out and how that, how important that might be? Sure, Jack. I think that's important. You know, when I, when I talk about the real estate brokerage business and, you know, having had my own company for 26 years, I've interviewed a lot of brokers. I've seen a lot of brokers operate. I've seen brokers who have done really well that I wasn't expecting to do well. And I've seen brokers that I thought would be fantastic that have fizzled out very, very quickly. And I think there are three main characteristics that I see in the people who greatly succeed in the business. First is they're an expert at something. They have mastered one corner of the market. They know it better than anybody. They can articulate that expertise very easily. That builds a big track record. And they can easily differentiate themselves to create that competitive advantage that I mentioned earlier. Two is passion. You have to have passion for the business. You have to love it. When I talk to young people who are thinking about getting into real estate, I I say, expose yourself to as many aspects of the business as possible. Find out what you really love, what you're really passionate about, because no matter how good you are, you're going to have tough times. The market is cyclical. There are always ups and downs. When you're in one of those tough times, the passion is what's going to drive you through, let you get to the other side. And then the third characteristic is discipline. Discipline is incredibly important. A lot of what we do in our business is not glamorous. It's a lot of very fundamental blocking and tackling. It's Are you making your phone calls? Are you writing your content? Are you doing your email blasts? Are you doing your hard mail? Are you doing your networking? you know, very, very basic stuff, but you have to do it over and over and over again consistently. And in order to do that, you have to have discipline. 
And, you know, I, I always quote Abraham Lincoln, who said that discipline is choosing between what you want now and what you want most. And it's having that combination of passion for it, loving what you do. And I always say I, I feel very, very lucky that selling buildings is not only my career, it's my hobby also. And then, but having the discipline to do that very bread and butter type of things, the blocking and tackling, as we call it, every day you have to do it, implement it, do it regularly, do it consistently. And I think those are the things that that set folks apart who get to the top of the game versus just being another broker. You know, it's really important that you said that because there's, you know, a lot of people that get into the real estate investing game for the first time. You know, there's there's a lot of effort or very little effort spent on that those type of persistent consistent behaviors that you're talking about in fact a lot of people are su- seduced into getting into real estate investing to believing that it's easy it's quick money and it's easy to do but i think what you're saying if if i'm paraphrasing correctly is is that this is this isn't the light load there's a lot of work and effort involved in this Yeah, if I was an investor and I tell folks who are investors or starting out being investors, I said, you know what? You look at a market like New York City and you think that it's all controlled by the real estate brokerage community. Uh, Over the past 30 years, only about half of the transactions have been handled by the biggest 25 brokerage companies in New York. So half the business is being done by small brokerage shops or done principal to principal. So I tell investors, hey, if you want to get good deals, would you rather come to me with something I'm selling and have to pay more than the other 6,000 people I sent the deal out to? And you could say, yeah, I bought the building because I paid more than 6,000 other people were willing to offer. Or would you like to have a seller call you up and say, yeah, I'm thinking about selling my building, come make a deal. And you you buy the building without it ever having gone to market. I'd say it's much more likely you're going to get a good deal in the, the latter scenario than the former scenario. So I tell people who want to invest, make up a list of owners of the properties you'd like to buy and constantly call them. And yeah, that's a lot of work. It, it takes a lot of effort, but Ultimately, if you get one of those, you're going to probably buy the property at less than it's worth. And as an investor, that's what you ultimately want to do. But it does take a lot of work. Yeah. yeah if you if you go to Bob's Twitter page, and like I said, I'm going to have a, a link in the show notes to your Twitter there, Bob. But I found kind of a quick nugget on here that says the most important call you can make is the one you don't want to make. Can you talk a little bit? Why why did you post that? Sure. Well, because I, I the delivering bad news usually revolves around around those calls that you don't want to make, or you have nothing to say to a client. And I often say, you know what? Don't don't avoid that call. Don't hide from making it. Just make it. Deliver the news quickly. Keep your client informed. The worst feeling you could have as a broker is. You know, you've had a negative reaction from people or no reaction to a, a particular transaction you're working on. The phone rings and, and you see that it's your client calling you and you're like, oh, no, you don't want to deliver bad news in that way. You want to deliver the bad news proactively by calling the owner 
and and being the one to initiate that interaction. Yeah, I, I've I've definitely learned the lesson there where you it seems like you actually start to create and imagine more drama than actually materializes. You always make it way worse than it will likely be if you just get it just do it. Yeah, deliver bad news fast. That's uh it, it, it then you don't worry about it so much. And like you say, sometimes you imagine it's gonna be a lot worse than it actually is. So just to remind everybody, look for Bob Knackle. The last name is spelled K-N-A-K-A-L. You'll find him, Bob, on Twitter and LinkedIn especially. And as promised, if you want to reach out to Bob directly, you can reach him at bob.knackle at jll.com. Three-letter domain, Bob. You must have bought that early. No, well, that's a JLL is uh, is a big firm. We have one hundred and two thousand employees, so you know that was a great great domain just to have uh, three letters. No doubt about it. Yeah, that's that's great. Well, Bob, this has been a great conversation. I'm not going to hold you up too much longer, but before I let you go, I do have those rapid fire questions for you if you're ready for it. Sure, let's go. What lie do real estate investors tell themselves and others? There's nothing I can do about it. There's always something you can do. That's the biggest lie in sales, by the way, is there's nothing I can do about it. There's always something you can do. Great, great. Do you have a book recommendation or what are you reading right now? Sure. Well, I mentioned the, the Dan Sullivan and Ben Hardy books. I think they're great. I actually have a list of about 20 books that I think are fantastic for real estate people, business people. If you reach out to me at bob.knackle at jll.com, I'm happy to share that reading list with you. But a lot of great stuff out there that will really help you, especially in our business, which is a people business, stuff on selling, uh, human behavior, persuasion, a business a lot of great stuff out there that uh, I think uh, your your listeners will find of interest, and I'm happy to share that list with you. Well, Bob, if you could go back in time and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that be? Just go for it. Go for it and bring on more help than you think you can afford to have. Every time we've hired someone to take over a functionality that, that we were doing, we always saw a, a geometric growth in what we were able to produce because of the extra time that we had. So we were always very, very conservative with bringing people on, wanting to make sure we had the money to afford to pay them, et cetera, et cetera. But it seemed like every time we brought someone on, whether it was a director of HR or head of graphics or a CFO or a COO or anyone to take over a, a major functionality for us, the growth of the firm really exploded. So I would I would hire additional horsepower more quickly than you think you can afford to. You know, that's, you know, I hate to derail us there for a minute, but that that's especially always of interest to me is the is the concept of seeing that as an investment versus an, an expense, especially as a small business owner. Is there any advice or strategies there that people should consider? No, again, I think figure out what it is that you do best. What, how are you most valuable to the company and try to spend as much time as you possibly can doing that. Do other tasks have to get done? Absolutely. Somebody has to write the checks to pay the bills. Do you have to be the one to do that? 
If not, have somebody else do it. What single strategy, process, or tool have you implemented that has had the most time-saving impact to your business? Well, I, I think probably having an executive assistant and having them do all the tasks that need to get done, but that you don't have to be the one to do. You know, I, I had an assistant when we sold our business in 2014 to Christian and Wakefield. You know, I had two executive assistants and I was asked by some of the folks at Cushman, well, what are you two assistants do? And I mentioned a whole list of things. And one of the things I mentioned was that they pick my shirts up from the cleaners. And they said, you have your assistant go pick your shirts up from the cleaner? I said, yeah, here, do the calculation. This is what I earn per minute. Do you want me to take 25 minutes to go pick up my shirts and drop them at home? Or do you want somebody else to do that for me? And they said, oh, okay, I get it. <laughs> Well, Bob, is there a question or concept you wished we would have covered here today? No, I think this was great. Covered a lot of great stuff. I, I think that, you know, the real estate business is such a great business. I think it's the greatest business in the world, whether you're a broker, an investor, a, a lawyer, a banker. It is fantastic. It's a people business. And I think, you know, especially younger people tend to get wrapped up in doing everything by text or email but we can't lose sight of the fact that this is a people business. Get out there, meet people. Every year, my goal is to attend 261 networking events a year. There are 261 working days a year, so I try to do one every every day. And that gives you the face-to-face -face interaction that you want to have with people, fosters those relationships, strengthens relationships, and will get you in the way of a lot of information that could benefit your career. 261 networking events a, a year. Wow. That, that, that says a lot right there, Bob. Thank you so much again for your time. I hope you'll consider coming back again sometime. Again, it's Bob Knackle on all the socials. I'm going to make sure to have as many of those links in the show notes as possible, but thank you again, Bob. You got it, Jack. It was great to be with you, and I wish the best of luck to everybody out there. Have you learned at least one actionable step to incorporate into your real estate investing? If so, please consider returning some of that value by leaving a positive review, subscribing to our YouTube channel, or joining our growing network on Facebook and Twitter. You can find links to all of our social media accounts in the show notes. See you next time.